Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our prayer lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Spiritual reading can be challenging for many Catholics, so this podcast is here to help. Each season, we'll read through a great work, unpack its timeless wisdom, and encourage you with practical tips for the pursuit of holiness. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis de Sales. To get your copy of the book and download the reading plan for this season, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text INTRO to 33777. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app. This is Day 22. Today we'll be reading Part 3, which is Certain Councils on the Practice of the Virtues, chapters 18 through 20, and that's pages 259 through 269 in the Ascension edition of the book. Before we get into the reading, uh, we'll take a quick look then at what we're going to be covering today. So in the last episode, we described some of St. Francis de Sales' meditations on friendship, and today we're going to return to the theme of friendship. So here we see how St. Francis de Sales is nervous, not inordinately nervous, but just nervous about unchastity. So the subtle and small ways that unchastity can arise in relationships. So he'll devote some time in this section to healthy friendships, specifically those healthy friendships among the saints. Uh, And then he'll devote some time to temptations. And again, it can be, I suppose, uh, a little bit discouraging for us to hear all about the snares and all about the temptations, which kind of beset us on every side. But St. Francis de Sales does it with the care of a father. Uh, He wants to alert us to the dangers so that way we can live our lives conscious of the threats, but ultimately fixed on the good that lies in store. So let's say a prayer and start on in. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grant us grace, O merciful God, to desire ardently all that is pleasing to thee, to examine it prudently, to acknowledge it truthfully, and to accomplish it perfectly, for the praise and glory of thy name. Amen. Chapter 18, On Flirtations When such foolish friendships are carried on between persons of different sexes without any view of marriage, they are called flirtations. They are a kind of miscarriage of love, or rather, mere phantoms thereof. They can be called neither friendship nor love because of their excessive vacuity and imperfection. Now, by means of such attachments, the hearts of men and women are caught, involved, and entangled with each other in empty and foolish affections, founded on the frivolous communications and wretched enjoyments spoken of in the previous chapter. And although, as a rule, these silly loves ultimately end up in sensualities and shameful lusts, nonetheless, that is not the first design or intention of the people who share such affections. Otherwise, they would not be merely flirtations, but downright indecencies. Sometimes even many years will pass before anything directly opposed to bodily chastity takes place between those who are engaged in this folly. They stop short at disturbing their hearts with wishes, sighs, amorous entertainments, and other such foolishness and aimless undertakings, doing so for various alleged reasons. Some have no other aim than to satisfy their hearts with loving and being loved, thus following along their amorous inclination. Such people consider only their own taste and instincts in their choice of such affections, so that when they meet something agreeable in a person, not bothering to examine his or her character or conduct, they will immediately rush into a flirtation and entangle themselves in these wretched nets. How difficult they will find it to disentangle themselves. 
Others allow themselves to be carried into this folly by vanity, esteeming it no small glory to catch and bind hearts by love. And these people, aiming at their own glory and the choice they make, set their nets and lay their snares in conspicuous, high, rare, and illustrious places. Others are led away both by their amorous inclination and by vanity. For though their hearts are inclined to love, nonetheless they will not bother with it unless there is some possible advantage of glory. These friendships are all evil, foolish, and empty, because they always push onward to sins of the flesh and ultimately end up there. Indeed, because they rob God, wives, and husbands of that love, and consequently of that heart, which belong to them. They are foolish because they have neither foundation nor reason, and they are empty because they yield neither profit, honor, nor contentment. To the contrary, they are a waste of time, a snare for honor, and the bearers of a pleasure that is nothing more than eager yet ignorant pursuit, unaware of what they even are heading toward. Indeed, these wretched and weak minds still imagine that they have some unknown hope before them, drawing their expectation from the testimonies of reciprocal love spoken to them, yet they cannot put it into words. Such desires never come to an end, but rather go on endlessly, oppressing their hearts with perpetual distrust, jealousy, and anxiety. St. Gregory of Nazianzus wrote wonders on this subject in a text rebuking vain women, though his words also apply to men. Quote, your natural beauty suffices for your husband. However, if it is put on display to many men, like a net spread out for a flock of birds, what will be the consequences? Whoever takes pleasure in your beauty will come to be pleasing to you. You will return him a glance for his glance, look for look. Soon will come sighs and little amorous words. At first you will begin by speaking them stealthily, but all too soon they will become more familiar and pass to an open courtship. I will hold my tongue and not tell of all the outcomes of this love tryst, but let me assure you of this one truth. None of these things said or done between young men and women in these foolish delights is exempted from grievous stings. All the links of wanton loves are fixed to one another and follow after one another, just as one piece of iron attached to a magnet lodestone binds fast to others coming after it. End quote. Oh, how wisely has this great bishop spoken. What will you do? Give your love? No, for no one gives love voluntarily without of necessity receiving it also. He that catches in this game is caught. The herb apraxis catches on fire as soon as the fire is in view. Our hearts are like it. As soon as they see a soul inflamed with love for them, they are at once set aflame with love for it. But someone will say, quote, I am willing to entertain some of this love, but not too much, end quote. Alas, you deceive yourself, for this fire of love is more active and penetrating than you imagine. You believe you can receive only a spark of it, but you will be astonished to see how in only a moment it will set your whole heart ablaze, reduce all your resolution to ashes, and your reputation to smoke. As is said in Sirach, who will pity a snake charmer bitten by a serpent? End quote. Sirach 12.13. And I too, after this wise man, cry out, O foolish and senseless people, do you think you can charm love so that you might be able to manage it at your good pleasure? You may play with it, but it will sting and torment you cruelly. And do you not know what everyone will say about it? Everyone will mock and deride you for having thought you could charm love and for having placed in your bosom, assured by such false security, a dangerous serpent, which has ruined and destroyed both your soul and honor. Dear God, how blind are you, gambling at such frivolous stakes with the principal power of our soul? Yes, Philothea, for God regards not man but for his soul, nor his soul but for his will, nor his will but for his love. Alas, we do not have nearly as much love as we need, 
I mean that we fall infinitely short of having enough love for God, and yet, wretches that we are, we squander what love we have and pour it lavishly on foolish, empty, and frivolous things, as though we had enough and to spare. Ah, this great God, who has reserved to himself the whole love of our souls in acknowledgement of our creation, preservation, and redemption, will exact a most strict account for all these foolish deductions we make from it. For if he makes such a rigorous examination of our idle words, see Matthew 12, 36, how strictly will he not examine our idle, improper, foolish, and pernicious friendships? The walnut tree is very destructive to the vines and fields that surround it. For given its large size, it draws to itself all the moisture of the surrounding earth, rendering it incapable of nourishing other plants in the area. Its foliage is also so thick that it forms broad and dark shade. And finally, it attracts passers-by who, to beat down the fruit, spoil and trample upon everything around it. These flirtations do the same injury to the soul, for they take possession of it and strongly draw its motions to themselves, so that it has no strength left to produce any good work. The leaves, that is, idle conversations, amusements, and casual associations, are so frequent that all leisure time is taken up in them. And finally, they beget so many temptations, distractions, suspicions, and other evil consequences that the whole heart is trampled down and ruined by them. In a word, these flirtations banish not only heavenly love, but also the fear of God from the soul. They weaken the spirit and undermine one's reputation. They are the sport of courts, but the plague of hearts. Chapter 19. True Friendships Love everyone, my dear Philothea, with the great love of charity but have no friendships except with those who can communicate with you in virtues. And the more magnificent the virtues that would be the matter of your communion, the more perfect shall your friendship also be. If this communion is an intellectual knowledge, such friendship is certainly very commendable. However, it is even more so if it be in the virtues, in prudence, discretion, courage, and justice. However, if your reciprocal communion is in charity, devotion, and Christian perfection, how precious will your friendship be? It will be excellent, for it comes from God. Excellent, for it tends to God. Excellent, for its bond is God. Excellent, for it shall last eternally in God. Oh, how good it is to love on earth as they love in heaven, to learn to cherish each other in this world as we shall eternally love in the next. I am not here speaking of the simple love of charity which we must have for all men, but rather of that spiritual friendship by which two or three or more souls commune in their devotion and spiritual affections, and make themselves but one spirit. How rightfully do such happy souls sing, quote, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. End quote. Psalm 133.1 Yes, for the delicious balm of devotion distills from one heart to another through so continual a participation that it may be said that God has poured out upon this friendship his blessing and life forevermore. See Psalm 133.3. I consider all other kinds of friendships mere shadows in comparison with this, and their bonds but chains of glass or jet in comparison to this great bond of holy devotion, which is wrought of pure gold. Form no other kinds of friendship than this. I speak of such friendships as you choose yourself, for you must not forsake nor neglect the friendships that nature or former duties require you to cultivate with relations, kindred, benefactors, neighbors, and others. Now some will perhaps tell you, quote, you should have no kind of particular affection and friendship because it occupies the heart, distracts the mind, and begets envy, end quote. But they are mistaken in their counsels. In the writings of some devout authors, such people have read that particular friendships and extraordinary affections are infinitely harmful for vowed religious, and they therefore imagine that this holds for others as well. 
However, there is a material difference here, for given that in a well-ordered monastery the common intention of all tends to true devotion, such particular interpersonal communion is not needed, lest, seeking among individuals for that which is common to the whole, they should fall from particularities to partialities. However, for those who dwell among worldly people and desire true virtue, they must unite themselves together by holy and sacred friendship, since by this means they encourage, assist, and support each other in good. For just as they who walk on level ground do not need a helping hand, while they who travel on rugged and slippery roads hold on to one another in order to secure their steps, so too they who live in a religious community stand in no want of particular friendships, whereas they who live in the world have need of them in order to secure and assist each other amid the many dangerous places through which they are to pass. In the world, all are not aiming at the same end, nor are all actuated by the same spirit. Therefore, we must separate ourselves and contract friendships according to our differing aims. This particularity begets, yes indeed, a kind of partiality, but it is a holy partiality, which creates no division except between good and evil, sheep and goats, bees and hornets, a very necessary division indeed. No one surely can deny that our Lord loved St. John, Lazarus, Martha, and Magdalene with a more tender and special friendship than others, for the scripture testifies to this fact. See John 15.5 and 13.23. We know that St. Peter tenderly cherished St. Mark and St. Petronella, as St. Paul did Timothy and St. Thecla. St. Gregory of Nazianzus boasts a hundred times of the incomparable friendship he had with the great St. Basil, and describes it thus, quote, It seemed that in both of us there was but one soul dwelling in two bodies. And although we must not believe the philosophers who tell us that all things are in all things, nonetheless you may believe that the two of us were both in each other, one in the other. Each of us had but one aim, to cultivate virtue and to accommodate all the designs of our life to future hopes. Thus, even while alive upon this mortal earth, we passed outside its confines. End quote. St. Augustine testifies that St. Ambrose loved St. Monica entirely for the rare virtues he saw in her, and that she reciprocally loved him as an angel of God. But my heavens, why should I detain you so long about something that is so obvious? St. Jerome, St. Augustine, St. Gregory, St. Bernard, and all the greatest servants of God have had very particular friendships without any detriment to their perfection. St. Paul, rebuking the disorders of the Gentiles, accused them of having been, quote, heartless, Romans 131, that is, men who fashion no friendships. And St. Thomas, with all true philosophers, acknowledges that friendship is a virtue, and he speaks of particular friendship, since, as he says, perfect friendship cannot be extended to a great number of persons. Perfection, therefore, consists not in having no friendships, but in having only good, holy, and sacred ones. Chapter 20. On the Difference Between True and Empty Friendships Observe, O Philothea, this important admonition. The poisonous honey of Heraclea, of which we spoke earlier, looks like that which is wholesome. There is great danger that they might be mistaken for one another, or that one might mix them together, for the goodness of the one cannot counteract the other's poison. Thus, we must be on our guard not to be deceived in our friendships, particularly when they are formed between people of different sexes under whatsoever pretext. For Satan often seduces those who love. They begin with virtuous love, but unless they are very discreet, flirtation will begin to intermingle, then sensual love, and at last carnal love. Yes, there is even danger in spiritual love if we are not carefully on our guard, though in this it is more difficult to undergo alteration, because its purity and whiteness make more apparent the stains which Satan seeks to mingle with it. 
Therefore, when he takes such love in hand, he does it more subtly and strives to slip in impurities by almost unnoticeable degrees. You may distinguish worldly friendships from that which is holy and virtuous, as the poisonous honey of Heraclea is distinguished from the other. The honey of Heraclea is sweeter to the tongue than is ordinary honey, because of the juice of the aconite, which gives it an additional sweetness. So too, worldly friendship normally produces a great outpouring of sweet words, the caressing of impassioned expressions, and praise for beauty, grace, and other sensuous qualities, whereas holy friendship speaks a plain and sincere language, commending nothing but virtue and the grace of God, the only foundation on which it subsists. The honey of Heraclea, when swallowed, makes one giddy. So too, false friendship gives rise to vertigo in the mind, which makes its subjects stagger upon the paths of chastity and devotion, misleading them to affected, wanton, and inappropriate glances, sensual caressing, endless passionate sighs, and complaints of not being beloved. Under its sway, one takes great care about one's appearances, carrying oneself with an enticing gait, seeking out chances to do gallant acts and to exchange kisses with other familiarities and improper favors, the certain and unquestionable foreshadowing of the approaching ruin of chastity. However, holy friendship involves no glances except those that are simple and modest, no caresses but those that are pure and sincere, no sighs but for heaven, no familiarities but spiritual ones, no complaints but when God is not loved, all of which are infallible marks of chastity. The honey of Heraclea troubles one's sight. So too, this worldly friendship bedazzles one's judgment to such a degree that they who are affected by it think they act uprightly when they do evil and believe their excuses and pretexts and assertions are true reasons. They fear the light and love darkness. But holy friendship is clear-sighted and never hides herself. Rather, she appears willingly before those who are good. Finally, the honey of Heraclea leaves a great bitterness in the mouth. So too, false friendships change ending in lewd and foul words and deeds, or when one such friend rejects the other with injuries, slander, deceit, sadness, confusion, and jealousy, which often end in violence and madness. By contrast, though, chaste friendship is always equally honorable, modest, and amiable, never changing except into a more perfect and pure union of spirits, a lively image of the blessed friendship exercised in heaven. St. Gregory Nazianzen says that when the peacock struts about and spreads his tail, his cry excites the peahen to lust. So too, when we see a man dressed in his best feathers and strutting about like a peacock, draw close in order to flatter and entice with a quiet voice, women or maidens, without aiming at lawful marriage, then surely he does so in order to incite her to some immodesty, and every virtuous woman will cover her ears against the cry of this peacock, the voice of this enchanter, who thus seeks to charm her ever so subtly. See Psalm 58.5. However, if she should hearken to him, alas, what an evil forewarning of the future loss of her heart. When young people use gestures, glances, and caresses, or speak words that they would prefer not to be seen by their fathers, mothers, husbands, wives, or confessors, they testify thereby that they are doing something opposed to honor and conscience. The Blessed Virgin was troubled when she saw an angel in the shape of a man, for she was alone and received from him such extraordinary, though heavenly, praises. O Savior of the world, purity itself was afraid of an angel in the shape of a man. Should not impurity then fear a man when he praises her with sensual and earthly praises, even if he were to come in the shape of an angel? In this section, we see a few different themes emerge, and the controlling image or the central image is that of the limits of love. So as we seek to train our loves on God, friendship comes to our aid because 
Our relationship with God is perhaps best described as a friendship, and God loves us through our friends, and in our loving of our friends, we love God. Or you can think about friendship also as a kind of proving ground of virtue. In the context of friendship, we learn to be generous, we learn to be responsible, we learn to be attentive, we learn to be all these different things which help grow us in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and introduce us more perfectly into the trinity of persons whom we await now and in the end. So, Father Jacob Bertrand, thinking then about friendship as we continue exploring this theme, um, yeah, how would we set up that conversation thinking about friendship as a way to God? I think that one of the things that St. Francis de Sales brings to the fore in our conversation about friendship is, is this idea of caution, but also this idea of necessity with respect to our relationships with people, um, which is an important one, right? Because it's it's kind of, again, seeking the mean, the virtuous kind of middle of our in, in our relationships with people. We can't just assume, it would be wrong, right, to just assume that like everybody is ill-intentioned and, and just bad, but it's also wrong to assume that everybody is like perfect and great and has no problems. So as we like look at our friendships and enter into our relationships, it's it's good to approach them with a sense of reality that we're living in with other people and dealing with people who, God willing, you know, our friends want the same thing, want to pursue God, want to be devout, but are are like on the way with us. So I think that's just a, a healthy way to approach this sort of topic that, and I think St. Francis is introduced. I don't know if, if what you think about that, but that's kind of what he draws my mind to. Yeah, no, I think there are a lot of lovely things in the world and we train our loves on those things, or we can simply say we love those things, but we don't always love them in an orderly way. So, you know, you might like food, or drink, you know, you might have an especial attachment to, what is a food that I really like? Checks Muddy Buddies. Um, or you might have an especial attachment to a particular beverage. Uh, when I come back to the United States, I look forward to drinking good American beer, which is a strange thing because I live in a country which boasts of its beer culture, but I like American beer. So, but if I were to, you know, esteem those loves, or if I were to pursue those loves in a way that kept me from the biggest or the most important of loves in my life, then that would be, that'd be strange. You know, it'd be bizarre. If you saw somebody who was way too attached to food and to drink and didn't give him or herself to the relationships at hand, then that'd be like, well, what's going on here? And so I think that when he introduces this note of caution with respect to our friendships, he's saying that, you know, sometimes we can get attached to the words of affirmation or sometimes we can get attached to, he uses some cool language about tender caresses and things like that. It's like, all right, you're getting into it. Now we here, here we go. Um, right. So he's, he's trying to just direct our attention to the, the most important things in human relationships, which lead us to the most important thing in our relationship with God. So as to say, okay, it can go wrong in a variety of little ways. Just be on the lookout, be attentive and things will go better. So, yeah, I don't know your, your further thoughts on that. Yeah. I think it, earlier, in earlier episodes, we we talked about this, the, the idea of reality, of living in reality, of the virtues of particularly like humility um, help us to live with ourselves and like our real selves. But that also helps us to live with the reality of other people. And you could say, I, I guess an important thing in the spiritual life that St. Francis is bringing out here in the context of friendships, um, but an important thing in our in our life with Christ in the spiritual life is to live in this reality, not to be deceived, not to be sort of blinded, which which happens easily, you know, and like 
when when you love your friends and you you often put up with their with their faults um but it's not sufficient to just put up with somebody's faults because you love them or because they're your friend in in a sense you know we have to bear one another's faults well but we also are called in being friends to lead people to Christ to holiness and and those sort of things so we shouldn't think of friendship or of our friends as like projects to fix but people that were you know were moving with towards God, towards perfection, towards holiness. And it is the case that sometimes our Lord wants to use us in such a way to bring our friends, those whom we love closer to God, and sometimes not so much. You know, sometimes we're just kind of there, and there's a beauty to that and a freedom to that to be used as as our Lord would have us in these relationships. So maybe uh, one particular theme that we can focus on in the time that remains is friendship between men and women. So St. Francis introduces this kind of word of caution. He's saying, you know, you should have a healthy dose of self-criticism in your relationships because we all indulge in self-deception. And the examples that he always brings out are examples of unchastity between a man and a woman, uh, whether married persons or not yet married persons. So he's thinking about it in just these terms. And I think that, you know, as Christians, we don't want to well, we don't want to say that things are all bad all the time. We want to affirm the goodness in them. And one of the things that we want to affirm is the goodness of relationships between men and women, regardless of whether or not they are married. And yet, you know, we recognize that there is a certain, what, peril, or there is a certain risk that one undergoes uh, when when approaching those. Uh, I think here of a friar of our community who counseled us, he said, my brother, you think you are strong. You are not strong. <laughs> So I think oftentimes when we approach those relationships, we think we are strong, but we are not strong. So maybe then we could talk a little bit about, you know, like ways that we, I don't know what you would say exactly, but ways that we love or ways that we contribute to those friendships that doesn't risk some of the things that St. Francis de Sales describes or that that secures a kind of a firm footing for chastity. I don't know if you have thoughts on that. I think what that two things are are helpful. One, to just take heed or or like pay attention to the reality that St. Francis and Father Gregory were just describing that, you know, really like men are attracted to women and women attracted to men. And even though there may be a sort of platonic friendship, there's still that natural reality that can and does occur. So it's just helpful to to realize that. And and I think if we deny that reality, we're, we're setting like a pitfall for ourselves. That doesn't mean that every relationship between a man and a woman results in some sort of romantic involvement. But there's sort of a natural inclination towards it. So fine. Um, the other thing too, is just to have like appropriate boundaries. And that's not being like prudish, but just like recognizing that for men, what friendship with woman a woman looks like and vice versa, and, you know, isn't a dating relationship and it's not, you know, a, a marriage and those sort of things and ought not be treated in those sort of ways. So I think like exclusivity can be kind of a problem or can be a, an occasion for us to be, you know, fall into temptation or into these sort of situations that St. Francis describes when we're sort of, you know, yeah, when, when we kind of, when the relationship becomes a sort of exclusive kind of thing. I don't know if that makes sense, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would only say by way of addition, you know, just be attentive to time place, setting, circumstance, you know, is it past a certain hour? Um, you know, are the parties present drinking? Um, is it in like a kind of domestic setting? Like all of those things. When St. Francis de Sales gives these very concrete examples, he's directing our attention to the fact that that all of these factors matter. And that when we seek to love the Lord, to grow in our friendship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and to do so in and through the friendships which we have 
with our you know brothers and sisters, with the members of our family, with our extended kind of network of friends. We just need to be attentive because our hearts can be drawn in this, that, and the other way by all the many lovely things. Uh, but you know, sometimes we're overly attached, or sometimes we're not. Yeah, we're not especially conscious of our tendency. So yes, St. Francis is just bringing these examples up so that way we could be more recollected, uh, that way we could be kind of more serene in thinking about these things, and then, you know, be just kind of more disciplined or uh, be more virtuous in our approach to them. All right, uh, kind of winding up. So any any final thoughts in this section on friendship and the limits of love? Yeah, I think that we ought to pay perhaps better attention to our friendships and relationships, um, especially when we live in a world that's so driven by relating through means that are actually not means to relate. So I think like social media and those sort of things, our human friendships are, are super important to us and to who we are, and we ought to treat them as being super important. So yeah, consider like the the friendships that you have and the attention that you give to them and the type of attention that you give to them and how they might be you know better suited to to growth and holiness for yourself and for your friends. Um, that's what I have to say. <laughs> Boom. All right, uh, that's it for today. So thanks so much, listeners, for tuning in to this episode. Uh, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts and to download the reading plan and support the production of this podcast. Visit ascensionpress.com slash Catholic Classics. Know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we will catch you next time on Catholic Classics. Mm-hmm.